Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Maggie Robertson. She is an award-winning actress who took the world by storm with her voice and motion capture performance as Lady Dimitrescu in Resident Evil Village. Welcome to the show! Hi! Thank you so much for having me. You said her name okay, correctly. We, we, we literally were sitting there before coming on being like, Dumatresk, Dumatreska. Because I'll tell you, when you when you Google it, a lot of people are adding a U on the end, like Dumatrescu. And I was like, I don't remember them saying that in the game, but Yes. Apparently I've learned now that apparently it's more accurate for Romanian lang- the Romanian language to pronounce the U oh. at the end, ah. but that was not the direction we were given when we shot the game, so I say Dimitrescu. Yeah, that's what we do, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Good. Well, welcome to the show, and one of the first things we like to do is sort of take it back to the beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? Horror in mm-hmm. general. Um, I think I tried my very darndest to stay away from horror most of my life. I know. It's ironic. Here we are. Um, I had a couple of friends that were into it and they would ask me if I wanted to go see XYZ movie in the theaters. And I was always like, no, I'm going to go watch this Disney movie instead. (laughs) Like what? 
so I never really grew up watching a lot of the scary movies. I think I had overprotective parents mm. that was part of it, of why I didn't just have exposure to that naturally. And then I just was like, well, I'm now not interested in those movies because I didn't grow up watching them and I'm cool. I'm over here in Disneyland and <laughs> you guys can be over there. <laughs> but it's, it's funny because now a lot of the roles that I play, obviously Lady Dimitrescu being one of them, are in horror or in these fantastical, weird kind of spooky, mm -hmm. supernatural places. And I love supernatural. I've always oh, been into the supernatural. Okay. So cool. that's not a departure at all. Sci-fi fantasy, that whole thing is totally my ish. Did you grow up to it, like reading a lot of fantasy and sci-fi or watching fantasy and sci-fi? Yes, all of the above. I was a really avid reader. So I think for me, in terms of acting and cultivating the sense of imagination. A lot of that came from the books that I read. I was always reading. I was always reading. Okay. I read books about dragons before dragons were cool. And my friends would always make fun of me Girl, for it. Same. And then Game of Thrones came out. And now all of a sudden it's like cool to be a nerd. What? Girl, same. Yep. What, so what, yep. what did you read Girl. when you were a kid? Oh, you know, Anne McCaffrey's okay. The Dragon mm -hmm. Riders of Pern. Read that was those. pretty big. I love Brandon Sanderson. Okay. He's one of Wait, my- are you fucking Faves. kidding me that's so funny my fiance no. who loves resident evil has a has a wheel of a wheel of time tattoo which is robert jordan and brandon sanderson and we have a, all of his books on our bookshelves he grew up reading them too has he read the way of the kings I, the way of the yes, kings I yeah. think, yes that whole series yes. yes i just finished i had to reread i had read the first two books when they first came out and then i didn't realize he had released three and four and so then i had to start back over and they're they're chonky yes they're, a big to do, Pick. so that took a minute. <laughs> they are See, when Pick. I when I got into reading fantasy novels, it was back in like the early eighties, late eighties, early nineties, and it was a bunch of like the kind of TSR, like the Dragonlance books, the the Forgotten Realms, all of those like you know Dungeons and Dragons type novels. That was yes. I was reading all of those back like when I was a kid. I love it. <laughs> I love that. I'm into it. Super into it. <laughs> so do you? So it doesn't sound like you watch. Did you watch any horror movies as a kid? Or were you just like... I honestly don't know if I did. The one horror movie, the one true horror movie I did go see in theaters was The Grudge 2. Oh. Not the first one, but the second one. <laughs> and that one turned out... I think, you know, it's so funny. These audience experiences can transform your experience of the movie. It was supposed to be a horror movie, but it was a comedy when I saw it because the audience was so ridiculous. And I think there was one point where it got really intense and something's about to happen. And then this dude yells out like, does anyone smell bacon? <laughs> and the whole audience erupts and the total uh, of the moment's yep. gone. And then by the time you get to the thing in the bus where the guy's doing ning, 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 we're just all done. It's, <laughs> it's a total comedy and not a horror at that point. So I had a blast, but I think that was the only one I saw. That sounds like wow. the right audience for Grudge 2 in theaters, though. I will say yeah. that's probably the way to go. Just Okay. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So I but I'm curious then, so after being in like in Resident Evil Eight and voicing Lady Dimitrescu, have you had any more interest in horror stuff after being involved with such big horror projects? I I mean, yeah, the horror stuff is fun because you're just it's so it can be ridiculous and it can be very campy and you get to play in these really heightened worlds with heightened stakes and everything 
is so intense. Mm -hmm. And that is fun to act in as an actor because you really have to use your imagination and invest in the world around you. I certainly still have an immense love of the supernatural. So anything that gets me over into that arena, I'm here for it. So what are your, your favorite day? <laughs> what are some of your favorite, like supernatural leaning, like stuff that you watch? Oh gosh. Uh, well, you know, I was into all of the vampire shows, vampire diaries, the originals, true blood. Mm. Uh, what are, did you ever watch Listen, Teen Wolf? I watched Twilight, I, but Teen Wolf. <laughs> no, I never watched oh. Teen Wolf. And I never watched freaking, this is going to be slightly tangential, but it also freaked me out when I was a kid. I never watched Kyle XY oh. because he had no belly yeah, button. Yes. That is strange. That was so weird. That should oh, not be. Oh my God. And the commercials were always so creepy. And they were so fixated on the fact that you didn't have a belly button. Like that was such like the thing. That was so weird. It was That's just horrifying. Maybe we should. I maybe I should have talked about that as my name. <laughs> Kyle XY. His lack of belly button is Where true horror. Where is his belly button? Where, Where is it? it? See, that's literally all I know about that show. Like, like I've seen the, the poster and it's him like showing his abs and there's like no belly button. I'm like, okay, nice abs, but where's the belly it's button? It's so unnatural. <laughs> I don't so understand. Isn't it it's weird? like, it's so strange. I have a thing about belly buttons anyway, so it was never going to be oh. a thing. It was never going to be my niche. I don't like them. Just spoilers. I don't like them. <laughs> that's, well, now I'm thinking too much about belly buttons and that's weird. Um. I know. I know. <laughs> Wow. Um, Unfortunate. I shouldn't have brought it up. Let's change the subject. Move on. Moving on. Oh, God. (laughs) So, okay. This is my nightmare having to talk about belly buttons. Why did I do this to myself? (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, Vampire Diaries and all of those. So, you you watched a bunch of the, uh, the sort of like uh, kind of teeny like horror, like horror television shows. I watched them too. I was a big Vampire Diaries, but I was Teen Wolf because it had a lot of hot guys in it. Oh. Well, oh, were you into Danny Phantom? <gasps> Can we talk about hot, hot cartoons for a second? Okay, Phantom. that was my Danny Phantom was my sexual awakening as a child. I was I think like okay. as a child sexually attracted to this teenage he was a, teenage boy uh, who was a ghost. Yo, Danny Phantom, he was just fourteen when his parents built a very strange machine. It was designed to be <laughs> I love that just so it's gonna catch him all because he so check that out terry because you know I, you never know you you might have your sexual awakening now again now at 41 years old yeah yeah, yeah. it's never too late like, it's, it's, like, yeah, it's a reawakening uh, no I, I i'm looking at pictures and if i had been of the age when i was watching that at that age i probably would have yes he would have been a sexual awakening yes. for me for me it was um weirdly enough it was uh robin hood the the fox <laughs> oh the fox oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah a lot of confusing mm-hmm. a lot of confusing correct. like sexy uh anamorphic animals in the 80s correct also covid i mean not covid <laughs> jesus christ kovu <laughs> ah, uh kovu from lion king 2 oh. <laughs> also kovu from lion king 2 Incredible. Wait, what year were you oh. born? When he got his scar? Wait, oh my god. Okay. Scars are yeah, hot. I've never so seen Lion's King 2, but I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Terry, we are going to educate I, I you to over be educated. this podcast. You need to, you need to do some work Maggie here. and I can start a podcast about all the hot animated characters. Cartoon animals. <laughs> 
<laughs> We're getting that's into a, a different niche, niche here. for sure. Fine. It's fine. It's all fine. Yeah. What were we talking about? Movies? Um, horror? Hold on. We're talking about the hotties in Teen Wolf. Mm. They were hot. Mm. They were hot. But So have you, like gotten more into watching horror movies now or do you just like watching supernatural movies like what's a supernatural movie you saw recently that you really loved Ooh, supernatural movies yeah i just still don't know if i watch true horror horror yeah. i'll do suspense i'll do cool. like thriller suspense things those are cool supernatural do we count superheroes as supernatural i mean they're super sure <laughs> i watch all the marvel movies i'm super into the marvel movies what's oh. a supernatural movie that has come out that's not fucking twilight just run me oh through the repertoire the list of things so that i remember it's one of those things where you ask someone yeah, i know what did you what have you watched recently and you forget literally like, i'm like I've not, what is tv I've, what are eyeballs i never watch anything i mean of course when i when you google supernatural movies things that are coming up are like crimson peak the conjuring <laughs> the witch oh like those, those are what's like coming up which project I, yeah. those kind of no i've not seen those, those. are what i'm trying to I don't think I would like those kind of what the are they found called? footage, like the, the shaky, the shaky cam? found footage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I think that would be too much. But I remember going to Blockbuster mm. back in the day and looking at the VHS cover <laughs> for uh, Gingerbread Man or something. <laughs> Ginger like Dead that. Man. Ginger Dead Man. It was right next to Pebble and the Penguin. <laughs> And so then you had Ginger Dead Man, and I was going for Pebble and the Penguin. Surprise! <laughs> and then I'd always be like, that's weird. I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, the Ginger Dead Man. Yeah, voiced by Gary Busey, apparently. Oh, oh wow. yeah. Those, that, was, that was a time when those movies came out. Those and, like, uh, Jack Frost. The, not, the, not the cutesy family one, but the other one. There's, like... A whole run of those. Oh, I remember that. Just released to like VHS, VHS or DVD that were just. My friend made me watch uh, Trolls too. Oh, Gre- Gremlins. What's the difference? <laughs> um, <laughs> incredibly <laughs> different. <laughs> There's a-, <laughs> a whole lot of better quality uh-huh. between Gremlins Two and Troll Two. <laughs> Troll Two has like okay. this very—it's uh, become a meme of this little kid that's going, "Oh my god!" Looking up. I think that's what I've seen. The green, yeah. Green I think we watched it as a joke. Corn. The green slime. Yeah. Yes. Green. She made. She made everything. Every meal. She had a whole buffet of food, and they were all green. Oh no! So that sounds. That sounds accurate. Wow, she really went in for the too. bit with Troll 2. She loves it. Wow. Mm-hmm. I have heard what? too much about Troll yeah. 2 in the past five days. Like, three people have wanted to write about Troll 2 for the site I work for, and now this. I, it's, it's weird. It's all, like, synchronicities about Troll 2. Something's in the <laughs> Something's air. Something's in the air? So, let's talk about uh, Lady D. You're... Let's. let's so um curious how did you get involved in voice acting in the first place before we talk about lady dean specifically well you know hindsight is everything and it's ironic because this was really my first foray into the world of performance capture and voiceover however looking back all of my training 
all of my experiences leading up to this point have all been very voice centric. I started off as a singer. I did classical theater, so I have a lot of vocal training for that as well. So it felt like a very natural fit once I found voiceover and once I found video games and Lady D. She just tapped into everything that I had already been doing in the first place. So this was really my first kind of voiceover gig. I had dabbled a little bit in some industrial work back in D.C., but this was it. Wow. <laughs> this was it. Wow. Wow. That's yeah, I just moved to LA in 2019 and I booked this job a few months after I moved to LA and that is very strange. That doesn't happen. I was going to say you're like the 1% of person. happened to me. <laughs> it's it's so astounding and mind-blowing because yeah, I I too roll my eyes. I'm like, okay, the Hollywood dream, that doesn't just happen. You don't just roll up in Hollywood and get discovered on the street and become the next Brad Pitt. Except that I did kind of, I am kind of that 1% that rolled on up to Hollywood and landed the role of a lifetime. But the way that I always describe it is that me, the success of this character and the success of this game was incredibly lucky, but luck happens when preparation Mm -hmm. meets opportunity. I was so incredibly prepared to take on this role and build it into the success that it was. I don't know. So did did you know you were auditioning for Resident Evil? Because I know sometimes they can be very secretive about their stuff. Did you know? No, I had no idea. The breakdowns oftentimes are completely fake for these games because, as you say, they're very secretive. They don't want any Mm -hmm. details getting released and then potentially shelving the game that they're trying to make. So, yeah, I had absolutely no clue. I had heard of Resident Evil before I think I'd seen the movies. I think I'd seen the Resident Evil movies, but I didn't grow up a gamer, so I'd never played the game. So my knowledge of the franchise was more peripheral, mm-hmm. purely because it's such a behemoth. It's such a yeah. Goliath in games. But yeah, yeah, I had no idea. So I went in completely blind. And then it wasn't until I got to the table read that I was kind of looking around and people are, you know, whispering excitedly. And we got this really intense NDA speech. And I was like, huh, I think, I think this might be a bigger deal than I initially thought. (laughs) I thought I was just like testing the waters of voiceover with this little baby voiceover gig over here. Drew you into the deep end. Yeah, surprise. Threw you are now the like end, the, for sure. the biggest video game like character star <laughs> everyone talks about. I know. It's wild. It's Crazy. wild when that all first started to pop off. It was so surreal. I was still under NDA. We were still in COVID times and yeah, I just had to <laughs> giggle maniacally to myself <laughs> in my closet as I like <laughs> looked at the <laughs> at the internet and I couldn't tell anyone and you're like I feel like you're speculating ha <laughs> 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 just you wait <laughs> now I've seen some of the like behind the scenes stuff of uh, there's been some video of like your performance capture work and I'm just I'm just curious how how was that because it seems so I don't know it seems so like alien to see this this big white room and there's like you know stuff in there and you have this big camera that's like looking at I'm just curious how was that I loved it yeah. it was one of those things. It is so alien. It's so foreign to anything that you've ever done before. But at least for me, because I have this background in theater and classical theater, there were a lot of familiarities Mm, as mm -hmm. well. It really did feel like I had found this place where I could combine all of my different skill sets into one. And that was always really exciting for me. I love 
in college, I loved the interdisciplinary nature of my education. I've always loved to be able to do a lot of different things at once and not just be limited to one specific thing. So having the opportunity to operate in a medium that allows me to flex all of my different muscles, it's so challenging. It's so hard, but it's thrilling for that reason. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly fun. You're just in a big room and you only have yourself and your imagination to rely on. You have no sets, no props, no costumes, makeup to tell the story for you. You have to tell it all with just your body. So it really is like having a big giant play session yeah. where you just go and you play and you just allow yourself to imagine freely and invest in these fantastical worlds and endow them with truth. And it, so for me, performance capture felt like a return to childhood in a way where you just are in your room alone, or at least I was <laughs> playing in my room mm -hmm. alone and just creating all of these worlds. And it was just that freedom to fly and be as imaginative as you possibly can be. So I found it really, really fun. I remember after my first day, it's so exhausting. You're where you're in a freaking leotard yeah. you can have there's no such thing as pride when you walk into the volume because you are in these skin tight leotards wearing velcro whatever you've got <laughs> dots all over you you're not wearing makeup because you can't have something in the with the facial cameras blah 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 so you're just letting it all hang out letting the whole world see you for as you are exactly as you are and where was i going with this yes here we are <laughs> Um, <laughs> cool my crazy brain <laughs> uh, but yeah so like it's so draining you're using your body you use muscles that you didn't even know you had the head camera for me you have this massive helmet on and a big camera it's like a 10 pound weight on Jeez. your neck that you have never had to have before <laughs> right. so for lady d i did a lot of staring down at people <laughs> so then by the end of the day i was like i cannot lift my head that's not happening. I need to go lay down. Oh. So you're so physically tired and exhausted. But I remember after the first day in the volume, my brain was so stimulated. I was so jazzed. I remember the word jazzed being mm. the only word that could come into my head at that moment. And I called my mom in the car ride. Couldn't tell her anything about the project, but I was like, mom, I just worked this thing. I'm so jazzed. I'm so freaking jazzed about it. I just wouldn't stop saying jazzed. So it was really energizing for me. I just found it thrilling. It was, it really was like one of those lightning bolt moments where you were like, oh, this is what I need to be doing. Yes, this is it. Now, I've, I've seen your, your BuzzFeed reading thirst tweets. So I, I have uh -huh. to ask, what, what was the, how has the experience been of playing this character that has been like thirsted after by every gender everybody. and orientation? Everybody has been thirsting everybody. after this character. I know, isn't that it's fun? So, it's, <laughs> everyone loves her. It's amazing. Everyone. <laughs> like the first trailer, everyone loved her too. Mm. It wasn't even like, it was like, the, she was the first one out the gate about this game. And everyone was like, <laughs> this is every, I don't care what else is in the, I was like that. Like, I don't care what else is in the game. There is a big booby tall vampire lady in a cool hat i'm so excited <laughs> lol you said it not me i did i did do a con where this kid came up to me and he was like hey you're the big booby lady right and i was like yes oh no yes yes child like, this is me hello. that's me that is my yes. legacy thank you so much for reminding uh -huh. me thank you so much um <laughs> 
I remember there was another voice actor sitting next to me. He was like, Ugh. you were like, yep, um, this is my life now. <laughs> Surprise. Yep. 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 That's me. The big, tall, booby vampire lady. <laughs> it was really surreal because again, I was just watching all of this unfold and I couldn't mm-hmm. say anything. My name wasn't released yet. So people were freaking out and she really permeated pop culture in a way that I don't think we've ever seen for another video game character. People who no. were not gamers knew who she was. Everyone. And everyone. All my, my friends who don't um, know anything about games when I went to a Halloween party dressed as Lady D were like, oh my god, you're the tall vampire lady from the video game. And I'm like, I am the tall vampire lady from the video game. <laughs> Thank you so much. So it, it's true. It was wild. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, it was, it was totally crazy. And I was a little nervous about having that sexualization Mm -hmm. thrown back on me once the game came out and once my name was released. But I have to say, it's been really overwhelmingly positive. Even the initial opening weekend, a lot of the messages that I was receiving were purely about my work and thanking me for bringing this character to life and how much she has meant to them. And a lot of the responses I get now are about what Lady D has given them in terms of the LGBT plus community who has been able to find a home within House Dimitrescu. I think that is so special. That's been honestly the greatest surprise and the greatest honor of the whole thing to be a person that can offer a sanctuary and a safe place to communities who need it is really special. So I love that she is putting out good things in the world, which is so ironic because she's this (laughs) villain. Right. You know, I, Queer people love the character. Um, I'm gay. Yeah. I love I'm queer. the character. And, you know, the thing is, is that, like, she's kind of a drag queen. I mean, she throws her yeah. makeup table and she's angry. She, like, is so, like, over the top. She has fabulous clothing and, like, statement pieces. And she is hiding behind this, like, veneer of, of femininity and gender. And she becomes this other creature once, she, you know, that facade is gone. Like, yeah. she's a drag queen. And I love that. Yeah, she's so fierce and she's so unapologetically herself. Mm-hmm. She takes nobody's shit. She just is who she is and expects you to treat her with the respect that she deserves and she demands no less. And I think that there are a lot of qualities within that that are incredibly admirable. I wish I had a little bit more Lady D in me naturally, personally. Hell yeah. What was that like then to like to build, to build her character? I'm curious because like, you know, when you have a script, obviously with your lines, but like, did you get any more kind of information about her and kind of what was it like for you to build the character of Lady D and have her become this presence? Yeah, I think I think I was able to see the character uh, blah, 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 image pretty early on. And that was incredibly helpful for me in terms of building out her personality. I apologize. I am a broken record. I feel like I say these things all the time, but I say them because they're true. (laughs) So I'm going to say it again. Um, What I love most about what Capcom has done with the design for Lady D, and this is true for Star Wars characters as well. Like when you look at a Star Wars character, George Lucas has designed them to have a very clear silhouette so that you can see them from a distance and you know exactly who they are. And Lady D, even before she opens her mouth, tells a very clear visual picture. You know exactly who she is before she opens her mouth. So I was able to take one look at that image and I was like, oh, light bulb. Mm. (laughs) I have so many ideas now and just work off of that. And, and also her language that she uses, I think looking at the script and the 
dialogue and especially Anthony Johnson did such a great job of writing the script. He, her language is very Shakespearean. Mm -hmm. She has a real love of language. And so that was very fun to play with too, in terms of creating a sound profile for Lady D for her voice and her vocal affect that conveyed that sense of regality and poise and composure And she starts off when we first meet her, you can look at her sentence structure and she likes to use more verbose vocabulary. She uses longer sentences and all of that feed. She takes her time. That was a big thing for me in terms of character creation as well. This idea of rhythms and you can have an external rhythm, which is that calm, composed. She takes her time. She never rushes. Everything moves in a curve because she's very sensual and she doesn't have to be direct. Mm -hmm. She knows she'll get there when it's time for her to get there and everyone else will wait until she's ready. And uh, then when she transforms into her monster form, her dialogue is so clipped. It's so aggressive. Mm -hmm. And it's very, to me, it felt a lot like slashing and just really lashing out with aggression and anger. And so all of that just helps build the character. It really does take a village. (laughs) (laughs) I also, I love when you're you're saying that, because I was just thinking about how even when in the game, like in the gameplay, how if she's coming after you, she takes her time. She's like, this is my castle. You're not escaping. I have all day. Yeah. She is confident that she's going to get you. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't have to worry. It can be on her schedule. So did you ever end up? You are nothing. (laughs) Did you ever end up up playing the game? I don't own a game console. Fair. Well, very (laughs) true. So I bought the game. I finally bought a copy of my own goddamn game uh, (laughs) on Black Friday sale, just like on principle. I was like, well, I might as well have this on my shelf as decor, but I have not played it. I've watched playthroughs of friends and stuff like that, which has been fun. And I will eventually play and try to kill myself. Though realistically, (laughs) I will be killed. (laughs) I have no false hope that I will be able to do any damage whatsoever to Lady D. As it should be. be smooshed. As it should be. It's correct. Correct. I would let her smoosh me. Anyway. Um, Okay, but okay, talked about your creative stuff and your relationship with horror. But Maggie, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? Oh God, I'm so upset with you guys for making me rewatch these. I rewatched them to talk about them on this podcast, and I was so upset. Uh, I'm talking about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, followed up by Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the two most horrifying movies ever created, ever. God! I'm so excited to talk about these fucking movies. Oh my god. Um, And I'll explain why after I read the synopsis for those of you who live under a rock and have never heard of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, this is an incredible Let's synopsis pulled from Wikipedia, by the way, so everyone can just like ba- bask in the glory of this weird-ass synopsis. Um, a sweet boy from a poor family dreams of finding one of the five golden tickets hidden inside chocolate bar wrappers, which will admit him to the eccentric and reclusive Willy Wonka's magical factory. One after another, tickets are discovered by ghastly children, but will the lad find the last remaining one and have all of his dreams come true? <laughs> 
I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. I didn't remember there was music until I rewatched it. Oh, I was like, wow. What the fuck are you singing? Okay, so Maggie, I wanna under like why I wanna know. Why did you bring this movie with you? Why is this your scarred for life pick? <laughs> I genuinely think I watched it exactly one time as a child, and then I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm never watching this again. And then ironically, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory came out, and I think I watched that. Like, I think I owned the DVD of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I hated Willy Wonka, (laughs) refused to ever watch it again. And then when I rewatched both of them this week... It was kind of the reverse. I watched Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and I was like, you're freaky. This is disturbing. Why are you like this? Tim Burton, why? Why did I like this so much as a child? And the other one freaked me out. They're both freaky. Uh, they but. are. Do you remember how old you were when you saw Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Oh, God. What year did it come out? Well, I mean, or, or, I'm sorry, Willy Wonka, the original one, came out in 1971. Correct. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, no. <laughs> No, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) And then young enough to be scared and old enough to know that I never wanted to do that again. (laughs) So Charlie and the Chocolate Factory came out in 2005. Do you remember if you so you probably saw that after Willie? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I probably saw that when I was in middle school. I don't know. Yeah, I saw that in in theaters, too. I saw that one in theaters. Uh, What what memories do you have of watching Willy Wonka? Okay. (laughs) Here's the two things that freaked me out the most. First of all, the freaking boat ride. Oh, yeah. What the fuck was that? Oh, my God. I rewatched that. I was horrified. Why are we having animals being chopped up? The chicken with his head Why getting cut this? off. What? The bugs crawling on my like bugs. bugs on a guy's face. And it just Gene Wilder go, everywhere the wind is burning. And you're like, is this the same movie that I turned on? What is happening? How is this for children? How is this marketed for children? It's unacceptable. It's that was so bleh. Yeah. That part Horrifying. is that part is incredibly unacceptable. <laughs> unacceptable. Unacceptable. <laughs> That's a very lady DM me. It was unacceptable. <laughs> How dare you? Um <laughs> and then I think my real fear was the fizzing, the fizzbee room, the fizzing mm-hmm. room. Oh, the fizzy, room, lift, the fizzy the, lifting drink. The fizzy lifting drink. Fizzy Wisbees are from Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> great. Now that we've cleared that up. Yeah. I was like, are you about to be brutally decapitated in front of my eyes by a churning thing? Yep. Propeller? Mm-hmm. It certainly felt so like it watching horrifying. that. Like, you, you kind of know, like, I, I mean, a new watching it that like, this is, the main character, he's not going to die. But like the way that it's so the callous disregard for children up to this point, too. And then this moment of him just floating up, I'm like, what's going to happen? Is he going to lose a parent or a grandparent at this point? Like what what is going on here? Right. And he's our protagonist at that point. So then you're like, oh, my God, wait, are you about to be taken from us just like these other children? What? Well, and like all the other kids die, question mark. We'll put a pin on mm. that one, but they like they big pin in that big one. Pin in that, <laughs> big old pin. The kids big old pin. all disappear, whatever, in like kind of comedic ways. Like Violet, Violet turns into a blueberry, and Augustus gets you're turning Violet, Violet. <laughs> <laughs> cool, take it to the juicing room. Um, but like these kids are disappearing in like kind of 
silly-ish ways. And then Charlie is just getting sucked up to a giant fan to get chopped up into ribbons. And it's just like, oh, but they just have to burp. And you're like, oh, it's funny, it's burping. But it's like, no, actually, you almost just sliced, like, this tiny child and his grand, like, his, his grandfather, who couldn't walk until just now, in a fan. It's horrendous. Like, it's so scary. I wrote about this recently, actually, about how this movie is a body horror movie and how it's actually one of the scariest movies because it's so creepy. Yes. It is so creepy. So many weird things are being done to people's bodies. (laughs) Well, even when it's like, you know, being like funny, like it's comical, you know, she swells up and she has to go get juiced. If you think about it, like in my mind, when I when I was a kid watching this, I was I was imagining someone with a giant like you know, fruit squeezer type thing, just like squeezing the juice out of her. And even, even like the kid that, that falls down the, uh, the bad egg, she's a bad egg, which is, is kind of funny. He's like, yeah, it goes down the garbage chute to the furnace. There's a 50% to the incinerator, right? It's a 50% chance that whether every other day it's on. So maybe uh-huh. she'll live <laughs> like, there's just that callous. It's, it's callous. And I love it's totally callous. And his like half-hearted, no, stop, oh, stop. Don't. No, don't do that. Help, police, murder. That was my favorite part. Where it's like, you got to do something. He's like, help, police, murder. (laughs) Willful, reckless endangerment of children, premeditated murder. Mm. But he's so eccentric. So we'll forgive him (laughs) because he's just so quirky and eccentric. How has Willy Wonka become this hero of our modern age? And we revere him. And we shouldn't because he's a fucking sociopath. He is a sociopath. Slash pedophile? What? I was getting hella pedo vibes. I'm just saying. The 2005 one has that even more, I feel like, in the way that Johnny Depp portrays Willy Wonka in a way that is very childish and terrifying and not, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, this, so uh-huh. Willy. Little. Yeah, because Gene Michael jackson Gene Wilder's like, Willy Wonka is, like, just kind of a dick. It's just, like, a huge, like does not give a shit but he wears a purple suit and has a funny hat so you're like wait the outfit was clutch the whole time i was like but do i want a purple suit where can i get a purple flower vest do you want a purple suit well so i this movie was like my family's movie growing up so like i know this movie by heart my family like whenever i'm upset my mom goes cheer up charlie show me a smile (laughs) whenever i'm upset like we sing these songs to each other all the time and like the oompa loompa songs when one of us is being annoying or i'm mad at somebody we go oompa loompa doopa like we just dance around each other like this movie is like a is like a family staple so when you brought this up i was so excited because we watch this movie so much and sing the songs all the time and it's creepy now that i'm saying it out loud um but that is my truth growing up and continues to be as an adult. Speak your truth. <laughs> but this movie Speak is up. horrifying. Like, I always was freaked out as a kid watching this because I was like, where did the kids go? Like, did they actually die? Because that was always the question I had. Like, are these kids dead or what? So I'm curious. What you don't do see you them at the end of Willy Wonka. No, you don't. And the vehicles, the transportation vehicles, suspiciously as they go, have exactly the correct number of seats to fit the exact number of contestants left, which circles me back to premeditated murder people. But you're right. Like Willy Wonka, uh, Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka is initially when he first appeared, I was like, okay, okay, maybe I'll like this more this time. And then we got to the boat scene and I was like, never mind. (laughs) Um, But he is more, 
he seems more in control. He's very cunning. He's probably a fucking Slytherin. Let's be real. He, everything feels very purposeful. He's mm-hmm. in absolute control of everything going on around him and likes to put people on edge and does it purposefully. It's with purpose. Whereas with Johnny Depp, you were like, oh no, you do have some mental health issues. This is not on purpose. You just don't understand what socially how to interact with people and you just need help. And then it would hurt my little heart for people to be making fun of him. I was like, but guys, like there's so much more going on here than just a weird man. He needs help. Mm. Well, the thing with the 2005 movie is they try to give Willy Wonka a background and like lore in a Uh way that I don't think is necessary. Like I love Jane Wilder's Willy Wonka as this like weird reclusive dude who wants to kill kids and have one unlucky poor boy like take over his factory for him, which is just like whatever, but it's just so strange. And like, yeah. Thinking about Strange, my favorite part of this movie, watching it as an adult, is at the beginning when, like, it's all of the weird espionage stuff of, like, adults trying to get the gold, bo- like, the gold ticket and having, like, the companies unwrapping, like, all of these weird, funny, like, espionage spy The woman things. who doesn't want to save her. The woman yes. who's like, nah, you can kill my husband. I'm not going to yes! give you the Wonka bars. Yes! <laughs> I love that. I need to think about it. It's so fucking I'll funny. do anything! Okay, yeah, but- just a case of Wonka bars. How long will they <laughs> give me to think do about that. it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I always forget that because as a kid, I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense. But watching it now as an adult, it's so funny that it's like all of these adults and these like it's a kids movie, but it's all of these adults wanting this golden ticket because they're thinking it is mm-hmm. like the ticket to everything, and it's so funny the way the that like, the beginning of the movie. That's like. Where's the golden ticket? Tell me. Oh, yeah. You guys like talking about his dream about the archangel appearing to him and telling him where it is. And he's like, okay, shut up. Where is it? <laughs> and yet not a single adult found a golden ticket. Yep. It was all children. Which is I creepy. don't know what that means. But... And it's like, it's um, well, a fascinating look at like hysteria, like his pop culture hysteria in a way. You know what I mean? Like it's like Beanie Babies or some shit like that. Like it's just, like, it really taps into the weird madness of what obsession, like this kind of obsession can have with people. And it's obviously this is taken to the extreme, but it's so funny to see like the way people react to these and like how everyone- The extreme, but also kind of not. It's not that far off. I believe that all of that would have happened. And like, honestly- no one really knew what the prize was. Like, it was pretty unclear. Mm-hmm. So everyone's like, oh, it'll a be great. A lifetime of chocolate. I know. I was That's like, it. Is it worth it? Queen of the, the Queen of England buying the last case in the UK at a, at a bidding war for 5,000 pounds. That's right. I was That's like, right. Oh, your majesty. I was like, no, really? <laughs> Incredible. Oh, but yeah, it's so like strange. a part of the movie that isn't talked about a lot at the beginning because it's not like in the factory, but I find it hilarious and just incredibly like important to shaping the weird environment that is the movie of this fucking weird ass movie. <laughs> it's a really weird look at our society. All of those beginning scenes were incredibly, I guess, eye-opening because yeah, it is that kind of that mob culture, that mob mentality that, you know, if, if in the heat of the moment, I bet they would trample someone to death. Mm. Like they would do whatever they needed to do to get what they wanted and it's that's all terrifying. Every person in this movie is terrifying and is not really a good person. And there's varying degrees of that. Yeah. And you get to see people that are exposed as, oh, no, 
you thought that person was a normal person, but really they would do the exact same thing to get what they want as well. Honestly, the most like unrealistic part was when Charlie finds the ticket and the crowd is like lifting him up and like sending him on his way home. I'm like, the way the rest of the world is acting on this, no, they would have tore that kid limb from Linda. They would have taken it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I was expecting him to get like trampled to death. Seriously. Um, like with the candy guy, it's like, run, Charlie, run home. <laughs> run. That guy. Oh, candy man. The, what about the weird like scar, the other yes. candy maker guy, Slugworth. Mr. Stumptown or Slughorn. They're like Slugworth. trying to have the weird like smorgasbord. He's a German spy trying to infiltrate into. Willy Wonka. And just like going and creepily whispering into kids' ears in front of a whole room of other adults. You're going to let this man with a giant scar on his face, greasy ass motherfucker, come and whispering in child's ear? It's fine. On national television? Yeah, it's the 70s. What? It's the 70s. Who knows? Who cares? Whatever. Just some random man just saying hello to your child. Yeah. That was, he was that was upsetting watching it now as an adult. Like just he just sort of comes in and he's just like whisper, 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 whisper. And I'm like, who's letting him near these kids? Oh my god. And also the guy when Charlie first goes and looks up at the Wonka factory, and there's a mm. guy with a cart full of axes yes! and knives <laughs> who just starts spouting some crazy ass shit. Okay. How the fuck is this a children's movie? Because even for you, Mary Beth, it's just a weird line where it was a family event and yet it simultaneously horrified you at the same time as it like was fanciful and inspiring and imaginative. And it's these two, like, it's such a weird discordant mix of like imagination and um, just... What the world is your oyster, and also horror, horror and death Wait, and dismemberment. Is that, is that the guy who was like, nobody ever comes in, nobody ever yes. comes out with the cart of knives, and he's just going yes. down the cobblestone with the knives, just casual like, cart of knives. Like, so what year is it? And they are they are wiggling quite furiously yeah. on those cobblestones. <laughs> They're like. <laughs> So here's the thing. This movie was written by David Seltzer, and David Seltzer is, in in the horror community, is most known as being the writer of The Omen, both the original one from 76 and also the remake. He wrote the remake in in 2006. Wow. Um, So you have the writer of The Omen writing this G-rated kids movie. And I think he kind of took a structure of a horror film because I, I'm glad you brought up Maggie, the, the the guy in the beginning, because there's a there's a, a trope in horror movies called the Harbinger Harbinger. And he's this man who is always like, those kids shouldn't go up into the woods, you know, or like it, they make fun of it in, in the movie um, Cabin in the Woods. There's always this guy that's like in in Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th, it's this crazy, his name's Crazy Ralph, and he's always like, murder happened in those woods. There's always like someone that is always like <laughs> an older guy just sort of like sh- <laughs> giving warnings. And that's what this guy does. And then the movie kind of takes a structure almost of a slasher movie because you have a group of people trapped in a location. They're getting picked off one by one. There's a mystery about why they're there. By the end of the movie, it's you have a final boy who has survived and it's because he's virtuous at the end. And he like is like that kind of pure final girl type motif that the mystery is finally solved. And by the way, you win all of this. This is all for you, but you never see anyone leave the the place. And I agree. I think they're killed in the book. It's, it's more clear in the book as they are leaving. Oh yeah. People are trailing out of the, 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 the uh, facility. And we also see Willy Wonka put a wide variety of mismash items into his, uh, chocolates when we're in the in- 
the invention room and mm-hmm. he's like stirring shoes and whatnot. <laughs> I would kick. not be surprised if he's stirring foots. Foots. <laughs> <laughs> mm, so pieces. Good way to get rid of the evidence, right? <laughs> Add some extra flavor. <laughs> That's so interesting that it really is structured like a horror movie and written by a horror man. Yeah. I did not know that. So I, unlike, well, I, more like you, I guess, Maggie, but definitely not like Mary Beth. Mary Beth's cat is going crazy in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I, until last night when I watched this and sat down to watch it from start to finish, I had not seen this movie all the way through. I've seen like parts of it. I've probably seen the entire movie but I've never like watched it from the beginning to end until last night because I remember seeing this movie when I was very young and I remember the Oompa Loompas kind of freaking me out. I wouldn't say scared me, yes. but they kind of weirded me out because they have like their orange faces. They're very, you can't really, you can't really tell them all apart. You know, they're, they're just, it's all, sort of like this group of orange faced people that kind of come in there and you don't really know what they're doing. And that weirded me out. And the scene that has stuck in my head for, gosh, 35 years, I would say, maybe, maybe longer, is when Veruca falls down. She's the, she falls in the egg contraption. And they're singing their little Oompa song. And you get the view <laughs> up from, like, inside the chute as they, like, look down at each other, like, just looking in on the camera. I remember noping out as, like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with this. No, nope. <laughs> and I, that was that was the moment for me as a, as a kid. That is the scene. That was the moment. It wasn't the train. No, the, the boat. Don't remember that Total at all. Wow. All I literally remember. Probably because you blocked. You had to repress <laughs> that memory. Otherwise, you would not have been able to go on with life. Probably. <sighs> I mean, I probably was four or five at the time when I saw this. And oh wow. All, all I remember, like it's been in my brain this entire time. Like all I remember, I couldn't even remember that it was a musical. I just, I only remember is literally the Oompas looking over that, that thing. And I was like, did I make this up? We're like mo- towards the end. Cause she's not even the first one to die. And I was like, did I not remember? Am I misremembering something? And then it comes to that. I was like, nope, that is the scene. And that was the scene that, that me noped, noped out of the whole thing. And so I've seen like bits wow. and pieces cause it played a lot on television. And I think a lot of parents are playing it. So I probably saw like bits and pieces of it from there, but that is literally that's all my nostalgia of this movie is, is that Oompa Loompa song. I only remembered the Oompa Loompa song. I didn't realize that there was additional songs. I didn't either. Throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So that was eye-opening. Yeah, oh, same. Yeah. But yeah, the Oompa Loompas are freaky. They are, they got the orange, they got the green, they got the white eyebrows. Everything is just a little disconcerting. In a modern lens, it's also like... Oh, deeply troubling. Are, are these some? Um, is this slave labor? Like, what's happening with this? Are we went and just like collected them from Africa? You well, even they get well, into that in the new man. Well, in this in um the 1971 version, because it's all like little people who are obviously dressed up to look like that, and I don't feel like that was probably like not the best. But then in the 2005 version, they have one guy playing a CGI tiny little man and has all the weird lore behind how he like brought them back from a dangerous land and he is their protector because they're no longer in this terrifying land where they could only eat chocolate or cocoa beans or whatever. They only ate bugs and let me Oh yes. Edify them and yes. well, blah blah blah. The characters have kind of a troubling history too because in the book when it was first published, the Oompa Loompas were described as African pygmies, oh! and they were drawn this way in the printed edition. 
And then after the announcement of a film adaptation, the NWACP expressed concern about the transportation of Oompa Loompas to the factory representing slavery. Dahl uh. d- found himself sympathizing with them and changed it. And so then in that edition and subsequent sequels, the Oompa Loompas were drawn as being they say white and appearing to and appearing to be similar to hippies in the books and the references to Africa were deleted. So it has kind of huh. a bad undertone. <laughs> That's so interesting. And I never read the books. So I, now I'm kind of curious, not that I ever want to live in this world again, but I am curious <laughs> to go back and see if I read the books, like what actually happens in the books versus these adaptations slash also let's not forget we're about to have a, prequel Willy Wonka with um Timothy what's his face Timothy oh that's Chalamet. fucking right I totally fucking forgot that was yeah <laughs> which now that I've seen these movies it's a little like again why do we revere Willy Wonka as this figure in our culture when I watch the movies and I'm like I think you're a bad guy I think you're a bad guy I think you're the villain and now we're going to get a whole movie about him so that we can idolize him more. It's, it's weird because like I, I, I thought that rewatching this, I was like, you know, Willy Wonka is I'm glad you, you mentioned this, Maggie, a sociopath. And he certainly is. And it's been a minute since I've watched Charlie. I wanted to watch this week and I just didn't have time. But it's been a minute since I've watched Charlie and Chalk Factor. But I remember him being a, a little bit better, but also a little bit like weirder in in that regard but it's it's been it's been so long but he is weirder yeah but that's why like willy Wonka, um gene wilder's willy wonka he has that purpose where mm-hmm. you get the sense that he has he knows what he's, he's definitely doing. knows what he's doing and oh a side note i looked this up with a wallpaper that you lick with every flavor, he talks about snozberries. That is a penis. That's a dick. He <laughs> yes. just told children to go lick a dick. That happened. Uh, anyway, moving on. But yeah, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I think you are a little <laughs> bit more empathetic towards Willy Wonka because, again, you just get the sense that there's more going on in his brain than... Yeah, because his dad's a dentist, right? It's like Christopher Lee plays mm-hmm. his old dad, who's a dentist. Oh, who says, that's right. Fuck candy, and he and he's got this all. We music. love Christopher Lee. We just talking about the him. Wizard should know better. <laughs> <laughs> it's your next role. You're gonna play Saruman in the next Lord of the Rings game. <laughs> Saruman. <laughs> but yeah, he and and um, Willy Wonka has like all this um like headgear and stuff because of his dad's a, mm-hmm. and he can't eat, she can't eat candy and sweets. And then he breaks free from his father's dental oppression to have sweets. Dental oppression. Dental oppression. <laughs> <laughs> Revolution. <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah. And then on top of that, you've got sad Charlie over here, like wasting away with his parent, his mom and his grandparents who share one fucking bed, which I okay. feel like is. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about this, though? Because it's. How does that work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How does it work? alternating bodies like <laughs> how is that comfortable for anybody i don't i just have so the many amount questions. of bed sores on those poor people oh, the oh. amount of bed sores yeah 
Do you, like, how do they go to the bathroom? In Willy Wonka, when I watched it, I did notice that they had chamber pots underneath the bed, but that's <laughs> still, really? I guess, they had chamber pots under the bed. And, uh, but that still means that, like, somebody, and, it's, and in Willy Wonka, it's only Charlie's mom. We don't get Charlie's dad. So no. Charlie's mom is probably trying to, like, lift him up and take him to the chamber pot. And then are they just doing their business there in front of everybody in the bed? There's, like, no privacy. There's nothing. They're all in one goddamn room. Probably. They're just all like, eh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. In Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, though, they lean more into this idea that when Wonka closed the factory, he, in fact, impoverished their family oh. because his yes. grandfather lost his job and so many other workers lost their jobs. And what that does to a community when a major source of income, all of these major industrial, like, all of our towns in America that have big car mm-hmm. factories and yeah. whatnot, if they were to close, how would that affect a community? How would they survive? Which is yeah. like a really interesting thing to talk about in a movie like Charlie and the Chocolate mm-hmm. Factory. But again, it's like a kid's movie, I feel like, and they just kind of like, sort of touch on it, but then just shoo, go around it a and little bit. No, the yeah, thing that solves the day is is moving into a factory and becoming a family that is working in a factory. That is literally uh-huh. the Capitalism solution at the end of the day. Capitalism <laughs> will prevail. Yes. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing about is... the, uh, the dad, at least at the end, he gets a job fixing the machines that originally took over his position. No, oh, yeah. Which I thought was interesting because I do kind of feel like there's all this hoopla. Everyone's afraid the machines are going to take over their jobs, but I do kind of believe that we'll, there will always be a place for humans somewhere. I mean, there will because that's like a that's like been a fear for for ages. There was mm-hmm. a fear during like the you know the Iron Age and the, the, the when machines and all that stuff were starting to like come into place. They're going to take our jobs, and it was a lot of like transitioning at the time. But there's still jobs for people, so I, I think that that is definitely they just the, shift. They become mm-hmm. different jobs. Those jobs, you're right, no longer exist. But now this new whole subset of jobs has been created because. The technology has evolved. I, I also do. So the, the thing that this movie starts on is the candy store. And I I think that this gives an unrealistic uh, example of what candy stores are. Did you ever have candy stores growing up, either of you, nearby? No. No, but I thought that the, I thought, okay, so I had like an image of the mythical candy store because of this movie. I was like, I want to go to a candy shop, mama. I want to sit at the counter and order a malt beverage from the man in the white shirt and the, and the, and the funny parted hair. Who just chucks candy at oh, the I kids know. willy-nilly and doesn't make them pay for it. I don't know how that's an apt business model, but there you go. The kids pulling the strips of, of candy dots off the wall and just like, just like it's yeah. toilet paper, like, like a cat with toilet paper. It's, it's, um. The candy it's man. Something. Which is another creepy song. I know he's like, I am the candy, the neighborhood candy man. I'm like, I don't think you want to be the neighborhood candy man. Like, I don't. In our modern age, enjoy my sweets, children. Welcome to my white van. Enjoy these sweets. Some dots over here. Got chocolate bars. Yeah, I I never did have a a I never had a candy store like that. The only so one I ever got did. close to was a nicer one in the beach where I used to go to. I didn't have like a cool little malt bar where I could get a soda, mm. like, a, like a soda cream or whatever the hell. Egg cream. There we go. Soda cream. Anyway. A soda cream. <laughs> we did. Uh, when wow. I was in um, junior high, it was actually across the street from the junior high school. And it, was it in Alaska and or in the Midwest? No, this was here in, in Nebraska. In Nebraska. Okay. Um, yeah. And it. it it's not the same kind of vibe as the candy store in this movie. Let me tell Shocking. you. <laughs> he would only let like two kids in at a time. 
because what is this kids pandemic? stealing. Because <laughs> he had to watch out for loose yep. fingers. Loose fingers. And I remember like the big thing at the time were, were jelly bellies. Jelly beans? Jelly beans. Jelly bellies? <gasps> oh. Jelly, jelly bellies? bellies. Like, jelly bellies. Yeah. The brand. The, the brand. And they yeah. would have... They had like this flavor that was champagne. And I remember all the kids in junior high getting the champagne flavored jelly bellies. And it was like gold. People would show up with like a bag of it and be like, oh, you got champagne jelly bellies. And that was like a whole thing at my, at my junior high school. Did you guys no claim to get drunk off of them or it was just because they were flavored champagne? I think people thought so. <laughs> or they thought it made them look so adult. Drunk. I'm not sure. I'm eating these jelly oh, bellies. That's yeah. so cute. God. Kids, we're so weird. All the things that we just arbitrarily decide to become obsessed with. Like in my day and age, it was gel pens. Everyone had to have gel pens and then we'd trade them. Why was that cool? And then we'd write on our skin (laughs) with gel pens. Did you have the black paper where you could write with your cool colored gel pens that it would show up? Obviously. Excuse me. Duh. (laughs) Who do you think I was? A loser? Maggie bullied me in middle school. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's okay. I was also the girl that would eat chapsticks. So <laughs> it was a struggle for me as well. <laughs> I remember going to school the, the first day of school and everyone had trapper keepers. And I just had like a little, you know, three ring binder. And it was like, oh, you don't have a trapper keeper. Oh. I'm like, what even is a trapper keeper? I didn't had no idea. And yeah, I didn't just get weird, the, the memo. things that. I didn't get the memo. I'm like, how did you all get the memo? How did we all decide over a three-month break that Trapper Keepers are a thing? Like, what? I, I don't know. This is such a... We need a we need a, a person to tell us the science behind obsession and collective obsession. And this viral... It essentially went viral before viral was the term for it. Yeah. So how, I mean, what is the science behind that? What happens in people's brains? I mean, that's kind of what this movie is about. Everyone's yeah, obsession over this, this candy and ever, everlasting gobstoppers. Like, yeah, that, that's not also a very good model for making candy. You buy one and then you never have to buy but another like, piece of candy again. It? Where do you put it when you're done with okay. the guy? You suck so it I, behind your ear. Yeah. <laughs> I was like thinking about that. Talk about the everlasting gobstopper. I'm like, but what? What? Huh? <laughs> Does do you it guys just like those big, those one big and done. jawbreakers? Yeah. Those big oh, ones yeah. that you sit there and like you look and then I remember getting one. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Do I just leave it on my desk? <laughs> it's, like, and then they were on Ed, Ed and Eddie. Did you ever watch that oh, show? Oh Mm-mm. my God. Double D always, always had the big one in his, uh-huh. oh, his jawbreaker had it in his cheek. Big one like that. And I yep. always found them kind of disgusting for that reason. Because Ed, yes. Ed and Eddie was kind of a disgusting a show. Disgusting and the, the whole time, show. I think I kind of hate watched it where the whole time I was like, why the <laughs> fuck am I watching this? This is yep. gross. And then <laughs> couldn't look away. Yep. That was how they, that, that was their currency were jawbreakers. That was all they ever uh-huh. wanted. Which is insane because those jawbreakers are disgustingly huge. And again, what do you even do? You can't even bite them. Like there's nothing. Anyway. What were you guys' favorite candies? Ooh, favorite candy. Oh. Growing up. Mine were Zots. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of them. They were these little fruit-flavored oh. candies that had, like, yep. um, fizz in the middle. Like, I think they put, like, maybe baking soda in it. And so, it, like, all of a sudden fizzes in your mouth. Ooh, that's fun. I think Pop Rocks would be my mm. equivalent of Zots that I was super into. Rolos. Oh, Ooh, Rolos. I love Rolos. Rolos. They were fun. Those were fun for me. <laughs> I was a big Skittles person. I would eat mm. a pound bag of Skittles at, like, a sleepover. Um... 
Uh-huh. Uh, to the point where my fucking first email for my Yahoo account was skittlesgirl93 <laughs> at yahoo.com. That was how much I love Skittles. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. Oh, yeah. And girl girl with the, with the U. It was not spelled girl. It was spelled girl. Oh, of course. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Girl. And that was girl. my aim. That was my aim. My OG aim handle and everything. Like Skittlesgirl93 was me. That is how much I love Skittles. And now I cannot really eat them anymore because I ate so many fucking Skittles as a child. <laughs> and you now they come it. Me, I overdid it. So that was my favorite candy. <laughs> No. With which I could decimate a pound bag of Skittles was borderline impressive, but pro- should have been Ooh. worrying for my parents. That's. Yeah, I don't know if I felt the same about Skittles. I could take them or leave them. They were not I, my go to. I, I, I could eat a pound of Oreos. My mm. friends and I would race. You'd get the big Oreo pack and you'd have three lines. Oh, and yeah. we'd have three people <laughs> and you'd just race to see who could finish your line wow. the quickest. Wow. And that's what we did for fun, people. Wow. <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> when I was young. That's what we did at Thumba Party. We didn't have televisions and video what's-its and who-bahs and we, we didn't ourselves have... into a coma. <laughs> we didn't have Instagram. We just had a lot of snacks. We had a lot of sugar. <laughs> What do you think Lady D would would think about Willy Wonka? Oh, this is it's an incredible question. Such an incredible question. It's <laughs> an incredible question. Not to just put you on the spot or something. But... I just I feel like she would not be patient enough to mm. put up with his antics, mm-hmm. but I feel that she would respect his mission. I guess. <laughs> I mean, he's ruthless to... too. Yeah. I think that there there might be a respect, but I think she would roll her eyes at him. And, I feel like there could be a franchise opportunity, though. Wine and chocolate are a thing. So the two of them could go into begrudging business together with blood, wine, and chocolate, and they could be some crossovers. Yes! Like, he puts, <laughs> children, he puts children into his chocolate. She puts human blood into her wine. Like, it's perfect. It's a perfect business opportunity. It's a perfect business opportunity. Okay, we found it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> God. Did anyone else think that the chocolate lake though looked kind of like blood? Like it had a very red complexion to it. It was too it In was too mm-hmm. thin. It was too thin. It looked too it was much definitely like water. brown water. That's cool. <laughs> Defo brown water. Defo brown water. Well, and like there's this moment when they enter, like with Gene Wilder singing, taking mm. it down the steps. That was fun. That was a fun moment that for me. Was I was like, like oh, okay, this is quirky and fun. It is He's quirky. stopping them. I did love him stopping them and going right back up the steps and then yeah, smacking his cane very... like, no, you don't get ahead of me. I'm in uh-huh. leave. That was like the nice blend of fantastical, but still in like, charge. That's like the nice and then moment. It just turns. Yeah. You're like, oh, wow, this is so cute. Look, they're eating candy out of a tree and licking whipped cream off of a mu- like of a mushroom. And it's so angelic. And then fucking Augustus Glute falls into brown water. And you're just like, oh, well, there he goes. And gets stuck in the tube. I don't know if I would describe their licking of mushrooms and creams and whatnot as cute. It was rather gluttonous. They were ferocious. <laughs> I guess, yeah. The second no. it opened up, they were like... <laughs> 
Someone eat like jelly at one point, and like they had their blood all over their face after they they bit into some like jelly filled. Oh, that's entirely the Taco Factory. That's that's Violet's mom. I loved that. She's such a fantastic character actress, and the whole interview scene with Violet, where she's like, "Tell them, Violet. Tell them." Tell them what you did. She's so she, Missy she's Piles. So fantastic. I think let's hear that. Missy is. Piles. Oh, is it? I, I believe you. I don't know I people's think, names. Um, but like that. Well, that also leads to talking about like the parents and the kids. Like this is both like these both these children and their parents are just horrendous, like stereotypical rich people in a lot of ways, and it is disgusting, but also hilarious at the same time because. Veruca Salt's my favorite because she's the most infuriating because I hate her so mm. much. But her, mm. like, I just, I don't know why I love her. I hate her, yeah. but I love her. No, and I felt the same way the whole time. I was like, I respect your acting, but I hate you. You're doing such a good job. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> You're doing great. And I really hate you so much. Please get off of my screen. <laughs> yes. And then Augustus Gloop and his mom, and he just loves to eat. Like, good for them. Great. They're just like... And again, like, this also plays into, like, you know, you think about it today, and it's, like, the fat kid is the one overeating and getting in trouble for being fat. Oh, so- it's totally fat and body shaming. That <laughs> oh, was not yeah. cool. And the rewatch, I was like, Jesus Christ. Ugh. Yeah. It's the 70s, I, I remember, we know, like, but, yeah, 70s and 80s. I, I mean, I was a, I'm, I'm a fat guy. I was a fat kid growing up. And see, not having much representation, positive representation, I should say, in movies was was quite a thing. It was the same. Like, I was kind of screwed both ways because I was overweight and I was also secretly gay. I was very closeted. Mm-hmm. And it's like those two representations in movies and everything that I'm being presented, never a good thing. Yeah. No, it's so real. And again, just, you know, representation is so important. Mm-hmm. And these things matter. They have an effect. They really, truly matter. And they were all white kids. And they were all white kids. Isn't that oh, yep. great? How they mm-hmm. were all white kids. From Europe and America. In America. <laughs> and they apparently the tickets went all over the world. And yet the only people that found them. <laughs> white, wealthy people. Except for Charlie. <laughs> but and that's there was the, the one guy part. from... Because he's right. not rich and can't get a huge ch- factory full of chocolate, women unwrapping chocolate for them. Yeah. Everyone in this movie is kind of disgusting. I, a friend of mine once talked about Willy Wonka and the, cho- and the Chocolate Factory as being a representation of Dante's Inferno with the seven oh. sins Ooh. and all that jazz. And I, I yeah. see that. I can see, see that. that. I definitely see that. You have them. Greed, gluttony, all that. I forget the other ones. <laughs> Vanity. Vanity. <laughs> I'm so smart. I've got a master's degree. <laughs> the seven, uh, there's, there's seven of them. They're, uh, I don't know. Uh, also, I, okay, Grandpa Joe. Grandpa Joe. Grandpa Let's go Joe. In. I just, okay, he doesn't get out of bed, but yet he has the money to buy tobacco, and they just keep funneling his tobacco habit while they're eating cabbage water. Not cabbage soup, not cabbage stew cabbage water i don't get mm-hmm. it I, I i don't understand his his, his whole family dynamics because he's a paper boy which i have been a paper boy let me tell you not a fun job not the job to have i don't know if either of you have ever done paper routes but they slat they slat, saddle you up with like this giant bag in front and back that you have to have like papers stuffed in. You go to house, you're, you're tossing things, you're making very little money. And yet everyone acts as if you're the most important job ever. Because let me tell you, you will hear about it if you didn't give a paper to the right house. Horrible job. Ain't that the truth? Horrible job. <laughs> With all the worst jobs, it's always like the second you mess up, you're going to know about it. 
Oh, yeah. I almost was almost fired one day because I didn't give a paper to the right house. And all you had, especially I don't know how they do it now, but all I had back then was a piece of paper that had X's on houses. Oh, my God. And I had to, like, look through this paper, look for the X, throw a newspaper. How early in the morning were you doing it? Um, I was the afternoon paper. So it was like after after work or after work, after school, I would go do this and, and go throw out the afternoon paper. But like. One of my friends had to do the morning one, and and let me tell you, those mornings on the weekends, especially when you're doing sleepovers, not exactly fun, where he has to wake up at, like, (sighs) god-awful hours to go throw papers so we can get news. Horrible job. And when I when I saw that it was it was almost like a little triggering moment. I was like, oh god, I'm just brought back to being that poor kid. And I was also like, you have a really easy paper route if you only have like maybe I think you only had like a dozen papers. I was like, ah, oh, that's nothing. It's a small town. <laughs> oh my god, uh, does not exist in the movies. Yeah. Okay, so uh. then I have a question for you, Maggie. Which one do you prefer, yep. 2005 or 1971? Mm. 2005 was very off-putting, which was purposefully done. It is weirdly kind of Uncanny Valley-y, even though I know that they're humans, but they're so airbrushed. Everyone looks kind of fake, fake, but yet they're real. And so you're constantly battling this just repulsion, (laughs) a violent repulsion. (laughs) Um Whereas with Willy Wonka, I felt like they were more grounded in real people that you would see on the street. I felt like I had met those people. Yes, they are extremes, but I also felt like, oh, I, I know you. I've met you before. Ooh. God, oh, this is so tough. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think I am the most disturbed by Gene Wilder. Ziz. Mm-hmm interpretation of willy so maybe i will <laughs> go watch the horror show of charlie and the chocolate factory again maybe that's my pick i don't like either of them my answer perfect. is no okay perfect great that's an acceptable answer we accept that mm-hmm. here incredible <laughs> side note peter peter ostrom that played charlie in the in willy wonka's his only role that's his only role oh really he went on oh. to become a veterinarian good for a him. vet good for oh, him oh wow okay I would love to be my veterinarian. I would be like my veterinarian was Charlie from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. That would have been incredible. He was probably so disturbed in the making of this movie (laughs) that he was like, "I can never make movies again." It's like no more of this. Absolutely none of this crazy shit. Gene Wilder, you're a fucking creep. (sighs) Like all of you are terrible. I'm terrified. No, thank you. Yep, he was offered a three picture three picture contract after Willy Wonka, which he turned down. He went to uh, become a veterinarian. He married. Um, his his wife in 1987. They've been together ever since, and now he does. Um, or at least as of 20, 2003, he was a veterinarian for large animal farms in Glenfield, New York. Oh, look at the cows and the in horses! In New York, so we can go do him. We can go <laughs> give her animals. <laughs> Let's all take a road trip. We can go, go see to Charlie. Him. Go to him. We can go to him. Get him on this podcast. There you go. Oh, my God. That would what be was it so like for funny. You? Yeah, what was it like for you? How was your life being in Willy Wagger and the Taco Factory? I always wonder about that. These child stars mm-hmm. that are in these iconic roles and what that must be like, how that colors their rest of their life. 
Yeah. Well, and like when you get older and you don't, you might not look immediately like that character anymore. Like that's got to be so weird too. Like I was, I think like. But then also you have the weird people that look still exactly the same as they did when they were a child. Like that one guy from the Sixth Sense. You know who I'm talking about? You know who I'm talking about? He looks exactly the same. For a long time, Freddie Highmore looked exactly like himself in uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and he went on to be Norman Bates in the Bates Motel. That's right. That's right. He does. Just stay the same. Wild. Very strange. Do we want to wrap this up and give it a rating out of five? Sounds good to me. So, Terry, how many tunnel rides from hell out of five do you give Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I don't know if this is a hot take. I don't really like this movie. I, are we rating it in terms of our enjoyment? Are we rating it in terms of the horror, our you fear? It's, it's your heart. It, it's how you it's feel arbitrary. in your heart. It's however you feel or whatever you want to give it is, is okay. all up to you. <laughs> I'm only for, I think, God, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to give it three. Uh, I wanted to give it two and a half. I'm going to give it three. I think that it's, I know. We, maybe we, we would be listeners. done with this podcast if you got this, gave this movie a fucking two and a half. I would have. Words. <laughs> Words would have been exchanged. <laughs> Dodge that bullet. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. I, I I don't have much much nostalgia for this movie because, like I said, I've only seen it in bits and pieces until last night where I watched it all the way through. I think it's... Um, I can understand why people like it. I can understand... I think Gene Wilder is deliciously camp and evil in this, and I love his performance. Um yeah, I just it's it's not not for me. Uh, so I think only three tunnel rides from hell for me. But Mary Beth, I know yours is probably a lot higher. Mary Beth, yours is probably like ten. <laughs> I don't five. Can I give it a ten? Yes, <laughs> five out of five for me. Uh, mostly because obviously I grew up with this movie, and it obviously has an incredibly weird hold on my family's hearts because we're all mm-hmm. a bunch of fucking weirdos who love this movie. <laughs> But yes, five out of five. It is so creepy and so weird. And I love Gene Wilder. And it's just an incredible film that is both horrifying and fun. That is weird because my family is not big horror. Like my mom is not a big horror person, but we love this movie. So we just love the weirdest shit. And this definitely had a lot to do with like shaping my childhood and some of the stuff I like. Plus, I remember seeing 2005 with my grandmother very specifically in, in the mm. movie, what exact movie theater. And the fact that we had to pull over because it was pouring down rain on the way there. It's very weird wow. how I have such specific memories tied to these movies. But that is why. Uh, very biased uh, rating five out of five <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, and Maggie, you have a final word. How many tunnel rides to hell? Listen, I think I'm going to be ranking mine slightly differently, but my answer is going to be five. And here's why. Okay. It certainly makes me feel things. I watched <laughs> them and I was in quite a passion. <laughs> I had many things to say. So in that sense, I think it did its job of evoking a very strong reaction. Both of them. Oh my God, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm just remembering our first introduction to Willy Wonka is watching these horrifying dolls catch on fire and burn to death. And then we look over and Willy Wonka is to the side clapping. Wasn't that's that fun? <laughs> wow. That's, is that, that's in the Charlie, the Charlie Chocolate Factory one? That's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Johnny. I don't remember yep. that at all. Yeah. Wow. Horrifying. So like crazy, Johnny Depp crazy, Gene Wilder sociopath. Yeah. Those are my kind of screw loose. <gasps> 
Okay. I don't, yeah, I'm going to give it a, to- a five out of five because if we're rating it on tunnels from hell, they were certainly <laughs> tunnels from hell across the board and yes. made me feel many a thing. I will be very curious about the new prequel, yeah. Willie. I love Timothy. So I probably I love won't see it. Too. I know. He's America's twink. But I'm twink. just so, like, how are we going to characterize this figure? I know. What are we saying It's about so weird. Him? It's so weird the way that we uh, seem to idolize kind of horrific people. <laughs> well, you're, LOL, Lady D. Hi. You know what, though? If you took out the Oompa Loompa song, I hate the Oompa Loompa song. I just, I hate it. Every time it's like nails on a chalkboard. So if you take that off, it probably would have bumped mine up. Another, another star. Also, Another, like, let's talk about how those songs are pre-written. So that's all premeditated as well. Like, you just come up with that point. on the fly, and it's specific to the child that just got viciously murdered. That's a good point. That is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I think in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, someone even does a gripe of like, are they just coming up with this on the spot? Just ready to birth out of the song. Whatever, it's fine. It's called improv. It's called musical improvisation. That <laughs> <laughs> the entire entire group seems to know. <laughs> uh huh. Well, thank you so much, Maggie, for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was fun. This was super duper fun. So where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up that you can share at all? Um, you can find me on the social meds at MaggieTheBard.com. Nope. At MaggieTheBard on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Maggie the Bard. I also, you can sign up for my newsletter if you want to stay in touch and see what I'm up to at MaggieTheBard.com. I don't have any specific projects that I can talk about, but things mm-hmm. are in the works and I am yeah. excited to be here. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I, I Let's felt that end last on that part. rather aggressive <laughs> I like note. it. I love that aggressive note. Um, so there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or both? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. 
Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.